you know, and we were learning anatomy and we had the cadavers. Seemingly everyone in my class had had exposure to this. I had never taken an anatomy class in undergrad. So for me, I think almost because I love to learn and and just experience new things, it, it was overwhelming in the amount of like information, but also at the same time, it was just, it was, it kind of just again confirmed that this was the field that I wanted to go into because everything was new to me. Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strink. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. Do you ever feel overwhelmed or stressed out at work? I mean, probably. I'm sure we all feel like that from time to time. Well, my guest today has some thoughts about what we can do in those situations. Sarah Blizzard is a pathologist assistant, and she's also a yoga teacher. Today, we're going to talk about how she got into both of those fields, and we'll talk about ways that they might be similar some of which might not be very obvious. And then we'll talk about mindfulness and how we can use this practice both inside and outside the lab. All right, here's Sarah Blizzard. Now we're gonna kind of talk about two different areas uh, that you're sort of, well, practicing in. So we're gonna start with your career as a pathologist assistant. Mm -hmm. And let's kind of go back to even before that, because I always find it interesting like how people discover these fields and maybe what they, were intending to go into before that and how that kind of changed. So going back to college, or I guess even mm-hmm. going into college, like what fields were interesting to you then? Oh gosh. That also, that was like over 20 years ago for me. Um, okay. Yeah, so me <laughs> it's interesting to, to go back that far. So going into college, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Yes. I wanted to go out into the oceans and study all the fishes and things that swam underneath. And so I went to college for that. I went to Florida Institute of Technology, you know, where the ocean is right there. Yeah. So through that, what I discovered instead was that I really liked anatomy. I liked dissecting the sharks and the stingrays and all of those sorts of things. So when I realized that that was something that I wanted to focus on, I started to research other things that I could do because I discovered that being a marine biologist is basically ending up as a SEAL trainer, maybe at SeaWorld. And that's not what I wanted to do at all. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, not everyone does that, but uh, yeah, it just, it was not exactly what I thought it was going to be like so many other things. Right. So when I started searching for what I could do in anatomy, one of the first things that came up was forensics. And this is like before the internet was really a huge thing. Like, I don't even Mm -hmm. know if, I don't even know if you could Google something back then. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think, I don't think Google existed then. (laughs) It didn't. And I'm not, I mean, like I'm not ancient, but it's, it's so funny to think about that. So what you had to do in these days, almost pre-internet was, call around places and introduce yourself and cold call and be like, hi, my name is Sarah. I'm a sophomore at where, you know, at university. And I'm interested in shadowing you for a day. Um, So that's what I did. I called the medical examiner's offices in Florida. And in Florida, they have like a different, they have a very different system. It's not quite like one location. It's many. So I just called up and I got a couple couple of people to kind of accept me based on 
myself just calling and telling him who I was. And so I went and saw a few autopsies. Um, yeah, that was actually the first time I'd ever seen, this is going to sound morbid, but that's okay, right? Of course. <laughs> the first time I ever saw a dead body was at autopsy in Florida. Yeah, and that might sound shocking, but it was fascinating. It was a whole sensory experience. So yeah, so from that, I thought, oh, I'm going to go to medical school or something like that. I transferred back home. I'm from Maryland. I transferred back home to University of Maryland. And I got my major in neurobiology and physiology, really to focus on being a doctor. I was pre-med. So then I discovered something similar. In order to be a doctor, you have to go to school for, I don't even know how many years. Let's just say a lot. And you had to have a lot of things, all of the prerequisites, the volunteering, the references. It was just a lot for me at that time in my life. I was okay. not very focused. I wasn't focused enough to kind of sit down and gather all of these things. That was just who I was at that time. So in my senior year of college, again, looking for anatomy and pathology jobs, and I was on my way out of a career fair that my college hosted. And I saw this brochure for the University of Maryland, um, at, and it said, jobs in pathology or careers in pathology. I was like, huh, this is interesting. So I grabbed it, and that was where I found the career of being a pathologist assistant. Okay, so that was something you'd never, you'd never heard of that before. Never heard of it, you know. I mean, I was kind of like, I don't know if naive is the right word, but, you know, I was still in college, and I similar thing. I, I basically called up the program at University of Maryland, and then I found out there were other PA programs in our country. And I told them who I was, and they said, well, here's what you have to do to apply. So I did. I had zero experience in pathology or anything of the sort. <laughs> and wow. I applied, and I got in. I know. And I got into um, you know Quinnipiac and Maryland and what's the other? Oh, yeah, Rosalind Franklin. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, um, what's the word? I don't mean to diminish my experience. It wasn't like I just kind of had zero things on my, in my background and my resume, but when Leo Kelly, you know, coordinator of the Quinnipiac program asked me if I had ever done autopsy before, I thought he was crazy. I was like, how would I have done an autopsy? <laughs> I think I was like 20 years old. Uh-huh. Yeah, I suppose it probably helped that you had, you had seen some autopsies, yes, though, right? Of, of course. And fortunately, Leo, in all of his kindness and wisdom, um, connected me to a PA in real life, and I got to shadow her and see what you know this career that that I was going to go into to see what I was going to be actually doing for possibly the rest of my life, and that just kind of confirmed that yes, this was where I wanted to go. Do you still remember that shadowing experience and like what kind of things you get to get to see? I do. Yes. And I think I remember her name. Um, It was in Delaware um, at Christiana hospital system. I have a weird memory for remembering like these little details. I believe her name was, is it Carolyn? Maybe Carolyn D'Amico or Christine. It was a C and she, um, we just, I just watched her gross specimens. She told me that she loved doing frozens, but she didn't really do them there. And I, in my mind, I was like, what are frozens? She showed me gallbladders and like all the gallstones that she had seen and different varieties. 
which was amazing and fascinating. And to this day, gallbladders remain one of my very favorite specimens to gross. Yeah. It was also new to me. So I was just fascinated the entire time. Mm -hmm. I can understand that. Did it ever get like overwhelming? Like there, there's so much to learn. Like, how could I possibly do this? You know, that that's an interesting question because, you know, like when I went into grad school, I went to Quinnipiac, you know, and we were learning anatomy and we had the cadavers. Seemingly everyone in my class had had exposure to this. I had never taken an, an anatomy class in undergrad. So for me, I think almost because I love to learn and, and just experience new things, it, it was overwhelming in the amount of like information, but also at the same time, it was just... It was it kind of just again confirmed that this was the field that I wanted to go into because everything was new to me, you know, and I was just absorbing it and learning it as we went along. So go, going into the program, I'm curious, like, why well, I guess going through the program, I'm curious, like, what parts of it? I mean, it sounds like the anatomy classes were m maybe your favorite, but like, what other parts yeah. of it did you find like <laughs> the most interesting? Um. Okay, grad school. Let's see. That was a long time ago, too. Um. Of course, the anatomy. I enjoyed the forensic um, the forensic photography class. We had a class um, with this guy who would like photograph mummies like in Egypt and, and around the world. That was pretty neat. Oh, wow. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I know, right? I mean, you, so you can understand why I would find that interesting. I'm trying to think what are the other classes we took? <laughs> um, anatomy and anatomy and anatomy. You know what I really liked is I liked the clinical experience because then you could just apply it. I know that's not like one a class specifically, but yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And it was, it was challenging. I feel like I'm kind of simplifying this like, oh yes, I got in. It's a miracle, magic. And everything was, you know, unicorns and sparkles. But, you know, it was also very challenging for me at the same time. Yeah, I, 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 that, that makes sense. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Now you said you, you like the, the clinical rotations mm -hmm. and you are, I mean, you already mentioned that gallbladders are, they're your favorite mm -hmm. specimens of gross. Like, like what other specimens do you like? Um, okay. So I like gallbladders, which is kind of an anomaly among PAs, I would think, cause everyone thinks they're super messy. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just think of them as like, who knows what's going to be inside, you know? Um, it'll be different every time. Okay. What other specimens? Hmm. I like placentas kind of for a similar reason, instead of just viewing them as like one more placenta, you know, I've seen a lot of interesting things in these so-called routine specimens that we get that we kind of just, you know, go through really fast. Mm -hmm. So that's like what I, when I'm going into grossing a specimen, what I think every time I'm like, Ooh, what's going to happen? What am I going to find? What am I not going to find? And, and then also going from that, Whenever I find something interesting, I like to share it with people, with, you know, p other people in, in the gross room. Placentas. I like kidneys. Yeah. Okay. Those are cool, I, too. I, I like mm -hmm. placentas, too. Pl placentas are my uh, huh. my favorite specimen. Neat. Oh, yeah. nice. And I, I like what you're saying. Like, you, you can find unexpected things in the seemingly routine specimens yeah. like I, I like to tell people that we see interesting things every single day and that's true because even those routine specimens can have something yes. uh, that that nobody knew was there exactly and that's i think that's probably well one of the most rewarding parts of our job yeah yeah it is it's, i mean yeah that's exactly what why we're there is to find these things if they are there to help the patients 
No, I think these days you're, uh, you're, you're not, are, are you working full time as a PA now or is that? No, no, no. I haven't worked full time for a few years now. Um, I'm just a uh, PRN now. So I, I stopped my, I stopped doing full time maybe about mm, four or five years ago and um, just went PRN. I did the traveling PA thing for about a year and decided that I like being home a lot more. So, yep. Okay, that makes sense. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Sarah Blizzard. We'll be right back. LabVine is an interactive online learning platform where laboratory professionals learn, develop, and discover by sharing knowledge and building on each other's experience. The platform provides global access to internationally accredited laboratory-specific courses and other resources developed by lab specialists like us for the laboratory industry. LabVine is free to sign up, and you can use the link in the show notes to get started. Okay, whether you're working hard at the grossing bench, the autopsy table, behind a microscope, or any other area of the medical laboratory, there is one thing that we all need, comfortable scrubs. The scrubs that I wear come from Dressamed. This is a company in California, and they've been making high-quality scrubs since 1980. They have a variety of styles and colors to choose from, as a matter of fact, I just bought a set of the new soft stretch scrubs, and I got to tell you, they are so comfortable. I might even be wearing them right now. You can check out Dressamed by following the link in the show notes. Oh yeah, and while you're there, make sure you sign up for their loyalty program, where every order will earn you points towards special offers and discounts. Now back to Sarah Blizzard on the People of Pathology podcast. And I think that probably gives you more time than to do uh, the other thing we're going to talk about that you that you yeah. practice, which is you're a you're a yoga teacher. Yep, I am. Okay, now so let's go then to the beginning of that. Like, when did your interest in in, in yoga start? So I um, have never been into <laughs> exercise or working out or anything like that. My parents desperately tried to get me to do something in high school, but I just never did. I was always too much of a nerd, which, you know, has helped me later in life. But, um, I'll say this, that, um, I also started running. This is relevant. I promise. I started running in like five K's and then I volunteer coached running maybe about, let's see, about, about 10 years ago. And it turns out that there is something to exercise. You know, it helps, especially with stress and our jobs can be very stressful. Yep. It's nice to just do something different, right? And get out of the lab and um, be able to also feel really good in your body physically. So um, yoga kind of came uh, via that is that and that I just, I realized that I needed to cross train. They always talk about cross training with runners. So I took someone's suggestion, I, I can't remember who and, and took a yoga class. Um, and this is while I was still running a lot and working full time. And it didn't really stick with me. I was like, hmm, this is okay that, you know, running gets the endorphins and it's fast and the heart beats fast and all the things, right? Yeah. But what happened? Yeah. I mean, and this, I don't want to like prolong this interview too long, but what happened to me, um, and this is relevant, is that I was, I was running and I had been running for a little while now and I was feeling so good. I, I ran a half marathon one weekend, got my best time ever. And then the next weekend, I was running a 10-mile race with my friends. Easy peasy, right? 10 miles. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah. and about two miles in, I started having this really bad pain in my like 
in my in my like abdomen, right? Really bad pain. And as a runner, if are you a runner? I can't remember. I am actually, yes. So this is relevant so, to me. It is super relevant. So as a runner, like runners love to talk about their injuries, right? Like, oh yeah, I've got uh -huh. that. And you know, I've got the stress fracture. I can just run through it. I've got one more half marathon, all the things I could talk about with you about this for hours. But so I have had so many running injuries. So I was just like, it's a pulled muscle. No, you know, no big deal. I'm only two miles in. I can go far. The Well, so the pain got worse and worse and worse. And I could talk to you about this forever, like I keep saying, but I had to drop out of the race, which is a really big deal as a runner because it's like crushing, soul crushing. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't walk. Like I had to ask a volunteer at the water station to like help me into their car and drive me back at the beginning of the race. Oh, wow. And everyone wanted to, they're like, go to the ER, Sarah, go to the ER. I'm like, no, it's a must. I'm going to pay my $500. They're going to give me crutches and send me home. Right. So what ended up happening is the pain got a lot worse. And I finally saw an orthopede on the following Monday. And without going into any details, it turned out that I had a tumor in my left femur. And this tumor had caused my femur to have a, a pretty big stress fracture in it. So wow. I had been running. I know, right? I had been running on this for probably months. And I had no idea. I had no idea. And one of the things is that as runners, I mean, like, you know, the endorphins cover up a lot. We just go. It's more about, like, being able to do the thing than really paying attention to what's going on in your body at the time, at least for me. And that's what I've seen and observed. So, um, this tumor was an enchondroma, which is fascinating to me, <laughs> probably to you too. Mm -hmm. yep. But what happened is that, you know, the femur is the strongest bone in our body. If your femur breaks, it's not going to heal overnight. So I had to stop. I had to have a surgery and I had three pins and three screws put in my left femur to stabilize it at the femoral neck. Um, the tumor was like two and a half centimeters, which is big. Um, it was benign, but it still broke my femur because it's cartilaginous, you know. So what happened out of that, Dennis, is, you know, I had been working full time. I had been working a lot. I had been running a lot. And I was forced to basically stop everything. No work, no running, just being at home, you know? So in this in that time where I had to like, you know, do intense physical therapy and everything for like seven months and I was off work for a long time, um, I turned back to yoga because it was something that I could do. I, so I went into restorative yoga and I would go to classes my friends would help me and I would go to classes about weekly maybe once or twice a week and that is what really really helped me and so through that is that's that's one of the reasons why I decided to quit my full-time job and why I went into becoming a yoga teacher is because I had found this thing teaching and practicing yoga that it helped me so much I wanted to share it with everyone I knew so yeah, I don't know even know if that answers your original question, but that's where my story went because it's that's the truth. Wow, that's that's yeah. an incredible Interesting, story. Huh? Yeah, are you, I know, and I've yeah. Are you like completely recovered from the? Um, yes, and yes, I am. I mean, that was when I tell people about that now, they're like, "Really?" Because 
you know, that was like, in, I don't even know when that was. Or in, I have a picture of me on the day with all my friends on the day my femur broke and I'm like smiling and happy and all. And I had just had no idea what was coming. Um, yes. Every once in a while when the weather gets really cold, it's true. My, the metal in my body like aches a little bit, but yeah, I can do all the things. And, and by practicing yoga, I can do even more things. But you're, I suppose you're not running at all anymore, right? Well, that's, that's a good question too, right? I didn't know. They told me that I might be able to one day. Mm. And so maybe about two years after that happened, I did. And I, you know, ran five Ks and didn't ever go as far as I did before, but that was okay. And then when I started teaching and practicing yoga, I just never really missed it. I never really looked back and was like, I need, I don't need, I don't need, I don't want that anymore. It's not something I want. Okay. So yeah, it's possible. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So then now I that makes sense how you uh, started practicing yoga for yourself, but like, what was the yep. t- teaching aspect? How did that come? Um, so I, um, in the lab, you know, as a PA, I always really enjoyed, like I mentioned with the placentas, always really enjoyed like showing people things like my, the thing, what I like to say is who wants to see something gross? <laughs> and, you I love know, that. That's great. <laughs> everyone wants to see something gross. Well, maybe not yeah. everyone, but everyone that we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so then everyone would pile over and I'd be like, look at this. This is what happens. And, you know, I just describe it. And um, so through that, people, I mean, you know, people say, Sarah, you're good at this. I always enjoyed showing showing people things and sharing. I'm definitely a sharer. So it started out in the lab really is teaching people. I used to teach residents and then um, I started, I was responsible for teaching like the biopsy grocers um, to become, we call them high complexity grocers. So mm-hmm. going from like gallbladders to um, placentas, you know, so that, and also when I went through my yoga teacher program, you don't necessarily have to go through that program to be a yoga teacher. You can go into it just to learn more about yoga and yourself, you know, but I had always known that I wanted to teach, just always, always did, always wanted, always knew that. My parents also were, were school teachers, are school teachers. So maybe there's a little bit of a genetic component to it. <laughs> okay. Who knows? Yeah. Influence from them, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, it seems like, like kind of, sort of on the surface, like if you're talking about pathology and yoga, like they're not really that related, mm-hmm. but... I, I I think there are some commonalities there. And of course, the, one of the obvious ones is you have to have knowledge of anatomy, especially if you're mm-hmm. a teacher. Mm-hmm. Can, yep. can, you, can you talk about that? And like, was that part of the draw too? Because you've always had that anatomy interest. Yes. Yes, definitely. That is part of the draw because it's incredibly relevant to yoga. And also I've been to so many, I've been to a lot of yoga classes where some of the teachers, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like discount anyone. Some of the teachers didn't quite seem to grasp that connection between like correct alignment and anatomy and the yoga pose. Or if, or if a student had asked a teacher, Hey, um, can we focus on this today? And the teacher might not have as much anatomy knowledge and background as they could in order to help that student. 
So when I went into yoga teacher training, I saw my background in anatomy as a huge benefit and not, not as a, like, look at me, you know, I know all the things about anatomy, but more so that I could apply it and put it into direct practice for my students and my classes. It has helped and it has helped, it has helped me so much and it has helped so many people, so many of my students so much. I bring it into each and every single class I take. I teach every time. So that's like one of the, yeah, that's how they're related, at least to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I've, al- I've also taken, you know, as in our PA training, I feel like we learned a lot about the organs and about, you know, pathology and about cells, but not so much about like, you know, the physiology. There's some in there, but not, not so much about like each of the muscles and their attachments and what they do and how they antagonize or help each other. So I got a lot more anatomy training throughout the years too. Okay. That makes sense. So it seems like kind of studying one or studying each of them sort of helped for you and have helped each other. Definitely. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you think there are other ways that pathology and and yoga practice are like have uh, things in common? I think also that, um, I was thinking about this. So I mentioned that in our job as PAs, it can be super stressful. I don't know that this is going to answer your question, but I'll say that I, a lot of the things that I've learned through yoga, I have brought it back into the pathology lab. I work with a lot of stressed out people. This is common in any workplace, I think. And I I feel like people are also super reactive. Like they, they just kind of, they get angry or they get upset or they get stressed out and they can't see, they can't, they can't, they can't pause. Like they can't pause to just like take a breath or ask for help or anything like that. And this is so important. It's important in our PA jobs and it's just important in our daily lives. And this is something that I learned by teaching yoga. I'm trying to think of like the better way to say that, but that's probably the best example of, of how I think that they're related Okay. I don't know. What, no. Is there something that you're thinking of too? <laughs> no, I think, I mean, just like, yeah, uh, you know, yoga is all about uh, postures and things and, you know, being right. a yay, because most of us are standing all day. There's, oh, yeah. there's gotta be something like that to, to, I don't know, stand correctly or yeah, the ergonomic part. Oh yeah. And I've, I've, um, and and not just, yeah, yeah. And you're right. And that too. And yes, I definitely bring that into the lab too. I always tell people, I'm like, I worry about your knees. You're standing so straight and your knees are, are locked. So I've, I have tried to do that, but I can't just go around to every coworker and be like, Hey, shrug your shoulders back. That'll help, help you a little bit more. But people do ask me at work, you know, tips and things like that. Sarah, my wrist hurts. I get the wrist the PA wrist complaints all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I offer them suggestions or shoulders or neck, things like that. And it helps. It helps a lot. It helps me and it helps everyone around me too. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that's, that, that is relatable. Mm-hmm. And you actually did a, a series of videos about this. Yeah. That you, mm-hmm. uh, there's a PA Facebook yeah. page and you posted these there on <laughs> YouTube. YouTube. Yep, on YouTube. YouTube too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you covered fingers, wrists, and forearms. You did one did. or two, maybe for shoulders, and then one yep. with the neck. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. And these and these are I great. Did. Yeah. Uh, how how did you decide you wanted to make these videos? Um. So during uh, COVID, you know, when we were all quarantined, and I was furloughed from my job for <laughs> a while, quite a while, um, because no one was having surgeries, and I was just a PRN employee. People had asked me, and people being my fellow PAs, had asked me for tips for those specific areas. You know, we get PA neck and we have the shoulder strain, especially our fingers and our wrists, you know, because we're using them all the time in our jobs. And I had always told these people, you know, I don't have time or it'll take a long, a long, it'll take too much time for me to put together like a video or something, you know? So lo and behold, I had time. I was furloughed. So all I did, I didn't really think too much about it. I was just like, okay, I'm going to use my iPhone. I'm going to prop it up here and I'm just going to record. So my first one I did, I believe was on wrists, fingers and wrists for PAs. And it was a lot of fun. (laughs) Surprisingly, surprising myself too. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to spend too much time in production or anything. You know, I just did it literally in, in one of my guest rooms and And I posted on the PA Facebook page and it was really well received. And then I got more and more requests. So I just kept doing them. And I have so many ideas, so many more ideas. I'd love to share them. And I'd love to be able to share them in a a bigger format too going forward. Um, I'd love to be able to somehow make money off of it as well. But I'm not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. Not yet. Yeah, I, I tried all of them all of the videos and all the <laughs> exercise. And I have to say, uh, cause the neck one was probably my favorite and the sternocloidal mastoid stretch. Was, was, <laughs> yes. That was worth it. Just that one. Love it. Yeah. I know. Right. It's so amazing. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do, all you had to do, Dennis was like, put your hand just below your collarbone. You just had to like pause for a moment. And here's my yoga teacher. Here I am, the yoga teacher. Pause and take a breath and listen to your own body. Didn't take that long, right? No, it didn't. And it felt great. And it's like, <laughs> how did I ever, how, how did I never hear about doing this before? I don't know. That's I don't great. know. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, okay. And so how do you have plans to do m- more videos or, or you were saying something yeah. about yeah. Um, I would love to make more videos. And so as I've, as I've been teaching more and more in Nashville, you know, like people ask me, they ask me like, Hey, Sarah, will you do this? And it's not like, I'm not famous or anything. That's not what I meant to say. It's just that my students, I love them and they love me too. And I have regulars. And so people make specific requests for me, for my classes, because they know that I have that knowledge, you know? So um, I'm going to apply to be a teacher on a few of the meditation apps. Um, Insight Timer, do you know that one? Mm, No, I don't. But Insight Timer, because I teach a lot of um, yoga nidra, which is a form of meditation. So, I mean, I I guess what I'm saying is I'd like to kind of do more with, with all of this, especially with the fact that I have all of this anatomy background, because that's really, really needed in yoga like more of that, more of that training. And I'd like to like to make it more accessible. I don't want people to just memorize, you know, I'd like to do more workshops, Mm -hmm. but definitely more videos for PAs. And then eventually one day I'll present at a conference and that will be the big thing. I think at a PA conference. Oh, that would be interesting. (laughs) We'd, we'd all have to get up and do stretches in the the conference hall. 
<laughs> you don't have to. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And and also thinking back to the sternocleidomastoid muscle stretch. I mean, you did that. You could do that seated. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> I think, I think a lot a lot of those you could do seated. That's interesting. Yep. And yeah, yep. yeah, applying the yeah. anatomy to that because I think people who might have, you know, chronic injuries or something like that, that might think they couldn't do yoga or you know maybe they could if they had someone who understood the anatomy of those injuries and could help them. Yes. Thank you, Dennis, for, for noting that though. Yes. I want to make yoga accessible for everyone and maybe I can help because I have a little bit of a different background. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that yoga makes, teachers. That makes you know? sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Now the last thing I wanted to talk about then was, you know, yoga has mm-hmm. a lot of mindfulness practice in it. And I've done a little bit mm-hmm. of yoga. So I'm I'm certainly not an expert, but I have I'm sort of familiar with it. And mm-hmm. I feel like this is all this would also be useful mm-hmm. for us as PAs and maybe anybody in the, you know, in the lab. So let's talk about mm-hmm. mind, let's talk about mindfulness for a for a couple of minutes. Like first of all, wh- what does that actually mean? Sure. Yeah, that's cool. That's that's a good question. So mindfulness, at least my definition. And I, I think I may have already said this once during our interview is, is paying attention on purpose. So, and, and specifically paying attention to, to things using your senses, using your sensory experience. So like your sense of sight and smell and all of that. A really good example of it is if you're taking a walk anywhere or even a run and you're not listening to your iPods, perhaps, or any sort of music. Instead, you're you're paying attention to how you're feeling. Like, how does my body feel? Also, what am I smelling right now? What am I seeing right in front of me? These are things that seem kind of obvious, maybe? I don't know. But so, like, so much of our time is spent you know, staring at the iPhones or listening to the iPods or watching TV. We have so many distractions. So mindfulness is just paying attention to what is already there, what is already around us. Okay. I like that yeah. definition. That's, that's good. And that's, that's tough. I mean, you, you talk about oh, yeah. go, going for a run without, without the AirPods, like, <laughs> like there's no way yeah. I would ever, would ever do that. But, <laughs> you should and, try it. See what happens. I should. I should. I mean, there are so many distractions <laughs> these days with all our, you know, devices and things and even at work. Yeah. You know, and so I yeah, the need for mindfulness is there's probably even more of a need now than ever. And certainly like during COVID, like yes. you were talking about with all the isolation, that yes, that increased the need even more. Yes, yes, definitely. And I think that some people, um, myself included, might get bored with this. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why we run with, you know, the AirPods in, right? Is listen to music, keep it interesting, keep the beat, you know, going, keep myself going. But you'll, you'll start to notice things that, like I mentioned, have always been there. And you're like, I've lived in this house for 20 years in this neighborhood. How long have those lawn ornaments been there that are staring at me every time I run by them? Just something simple like that. And I, I don't know. I don't think it's boring. I think it's fascinating. It's fascinating when you start to pay attention, the details that you notice. I like that. And that, that of course, applies to to our job as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, so is this just a matter of like paying attention and looking around and sort of avoiding distractions? Is that, is that kind of what we're talking well, about? So 
instead of avoiding distractions, that's another part of it. And this is, I teach a lot of this when I teach yoga nidra, which is um, a form of meditation that I teach. So instead of avoiding distractions, you know, like, you know, because we're not in a sensory deprivation chamber every day of our life, right? So everything is constantly surrounding us, including distractions. Instead of trying to avoid them, we just notice them. I call it like being an observer, just like you're noticing the wind or the sun or the snow or that your right foot hurts, just notice, pay attention, and then notice something else. Does that make sense? Kind of. It's a practice. Yeah. It's, so it's notice it, but don't, don't obsess don't over Don't analyze it. or judge. Yep. No, analyze. Exactly. Exactly. And you can practice this in little in little bursts, you know, it doesn't have to be like an hour long run. <laughs> it's it's I know. When I when I say it out loud, I feel like I'm speaking like I'm a crazy person, but I promise it's it's wonderful and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's it, it's something you develop over time, I guess, like a skill. Oh yes. Yes. I think that's good advice and it's definitely something that we can all apply, you know, not only at work yes. but certainly in our uh everyday life anywhere anywhere and everywhere yep yep all right awesome sarah this is a really interesting conversation i'm glad we got a chance to talk yeah i I appreciate your time uh sarah blizzard thank you very much yeah thanks dennis if you're looking for another episode of the people of pathology podcast to check out after this one here's a trailer from my interview with dr neil thies where we talk about everything from liver pathology to complexity theory We are, in fact, scientists. We are tissue biologists. And every day we have normal and experimental, you know, experiments by nature. Diseases passing in front of us under the microscope. What an extraordinary privilege that is. And if you pay attention to what's in front of you on the slide, inevitably, while you're looking to do your clinical diagnostic work, which is very pragmatic, but you order a special stain and for that tumor, but then you notice something in the non-tumoral liver or kidney or lung or whatever, and you see something that you don't expect. So it might be an immunostained tiny cell away from the portal tract in the middle of the hepatocyte. What is that? It's not a contaminant, it's not an aberration, it's not an accident. If you find something in a human body, it has meaning. You can hear the rest of my conversation with Dr. Neil Thies in episode 32. All right. Great big thanks to Sarah Blizzard. And I'll have links in the show notes to her Instagram page where she sometimes posts videos as well as her YouTube where you can check out the stretches that we talked about and try them out for yourself. They really worked for me. And maybe give mindfulness a try. I mean, like she said, it's a practice. It takes some time to develop like any other skill. But I think it's something that would be useful for all of us. Don't forget, you can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at People of Path, or just connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others. Together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. You can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network. And while you're there, you can check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Dennis Strank. And I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.